What's the name of the podcast then? It's going to be called Misdirected. Misdirected. Yeah, okay. because I'm technically a video director and yeah. also because I own the company, I'm a director. So, you know, yeah. a play on words there. And it's hopefully it. going to give people direction. So, uh-huh. triple entendres, quadruple entendres, all of them. All of them. Just all stack of them. them. Stacks stack and stacks. I'm like Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> but I can't rap. That's it. And I'm and I'm worth a fraction of his worth. <laughs> All right. Cool. Let's do it. All right, Joe. I really haven't developed an introduction yet, so we'll just That's jump right. straight into that. it. You do that. You do. You do that post production. Yeah, I was thinking. I'm um, like you, your podcast. What have you? What do you use? Like a little soundtrack or something? Uh, for the intro. Yeah. Yeah, so I had one of one of our IT guys um, who is actually a DJ. Um, nice. As a matter of fact, he uh, he cut it together and made that little intro track for us. Mm. I might yeah. need to do the same, something similar. Yeah, yeah, and then we just dive. We don't really have like a like a lot of podcasts will do like a post production intro. Yeah, where they'll introduce the podcast, what they're talking about, the guests on, and so forth, which works well. We just yeah. don't. We just dive straight in. So. Yeah, no, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I saw. Yeah. Um, I've I've been listening to one, and it talks about different events in um history, and one mm-hmm. was the Millennium Bug, mm-hmm. from year two thousand, and yeah, yeah. his introduction is it's crazy. Like it's all sound designed correctly. Sound engineers like played around with it, and I'm yeah. like, fuck, I don't have I don't have the time to be doing that. Yeah, I just want to so do, long just as the, have a chat. So long as the, yeah, so long as the content's good, yeah, the intro doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's podcasting full time. This is just like you know, put more content out there. Um, yeah. You know, talk to people. Um, That's- anyway, Joe, shall we? Let's do it. Okay, so whoever is listening, I'm here with Joseph Mensel, owner of Massive Joe's. Joe, welcome. Thank you, Ange. Pleasure to uh, to be on the podcast, man. Oh, no, thank you. You're actually the first guest. <laughs> Very the prestigious honor. Oh, shit. I'm, yeah, so I'm, I'm breaking you your get- podcast cherry. You have to, like yeah, it. that's right. You have to set the scene as well, set the tone. So you really got to bring it. <laughs> um, so okay. Joe, before we get started, um, yeah, I like to. T- my big thing is networking. So I want to talk about sure. how we actually met and started working together. So, mm-hmm. do you recall? Would you like to share your uh, earliest memories? I do recall uh, one of our employees over in 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 Perth at our Perth retail store. Uh, was good friends with you, and uh, I was over there for I think we did like a like a store based event. I think we did like a seminar and a workout supplement um, seminar. That's the one, yeah, that's yeah. the one. And uh, and and he mentioned that you know that that you're in the business of of um, you know producing short films, and um, you know I kind of caught your eye to to produce a piece on, and you know could we could we connect while I was over in Perth and and produce something, and it all went from there. It's beautiful. It was. Yeah. Joe, you actually enabled one of my biggest dreams when I started doing videography. And yeah. I was a big AFL fan for years since I was young. Like, I loved footy. Yes. I wanted to be a footballer. Um, yep. But I didn't quite make it. So, uh-huh. I always wanted to, like, work within the AFL. And then I saw you were doing the collaboration with Port Adelaide and Optimum Nutrition. And yep. I was like, man, I'd love to be able to film that. And I messaged you, yep. like, Joe please and you're like sure thing you're so accommodating so thank you for that <laughs> i got the film put out crazy how that works isn't it because that know. was that was like w- within a 12 month period too yeah it was 
insane. It's crazy. From when we, from yeah, from when we first met through uh, through Brendo over in Perth, and then yeah. next minute you're coming to Adelaide to to shoot some stuff with Port Power. Yeah, that Very was cool. cool. That was really cool. Very cool. Thank you. So thank you for that, Joe. Um, of course. So Joe, yeah. let's um talk about massive Joe's. Do you want to go into yep. the history of how you came up with the concept and like how you executed it in the early days? Sure, absolutely. How how far back would you like me to? Oh, we go like full grassroots level. All or? the way back. Okay, all the way back. We'll, pe- we'll, the we'll peel back the layers of the onion and get right. To I want to know when your family migrated here. <laughs> <laughs> go real deep. <laughs> all right. So, um, pretty much, it's it, it's a long story, um, but I do have a way of kind of condensing it and, and and distilling it down. So, pretty much, I grew up. Uh, you know, through my through my childhood years and teenage years, um, playing basketball. So I was a you know performance based athlete. Um, played basketball at quite a high level. Played for you know state teams, national teams. Um, man, you name it. I did everything you could do in Australia in basketball. Um, and I developed uh, injuries uh, to my lower back in particular that kind of uh, by the time I was I was 17, 18 um, were so significant that they kind of ended anything that I could do with basketball and, and, and really with performance based sports um, professionally um, because the, the stress fractures that I developed in my lower back were, were so severe that it was just like, this is, this is not physically possible for you to continue putting your body through this. So I took an interest, um, when I was 18 in, uh, in, in bodybuilding in competitive bodybuilding. And I'd been exposed to weight training, resistance-based training from a performance sports basis from a basketball basis to improve my athletic ability as a basketballer right back i think i started started weight training when i was like 13 14 so um you know by the time you know i was 18 i had kind of five years i guess of 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 experience with resistance-based training but never kind of did anything else with it because my main focus was basketball Mm. and then kind of once the the stress fractures developed um you know, it ended anything I could do with performance-based sports, anything I could do with basketball. But I guess the silver lining was it opened up the opportunity for me to look at competitive bodybuilding and really kind of focus my uh, competitive athletic streak on on that rather than basketball. So I started spending a lot more time at the gym, um, you know, properly training for for bodybuilding competitions, and and um, I took an interest, a real interest in in supplementation at that point to help me improve my body composition um, as an aesthetic based athlete now, rather than you know a lot of athletes who use res- resistance based training, use weight training from a performance athletic perspective, are trying to get stronger. Maybe they're trying to get a little bit bigger, depending on the sport that they're playing. If it's a physical sport, you know, body mass does come into it as well. Um, and when I got into competitive bodybuilding, it was more about changing body composition. So how do I build the most amount of muscle, maintain the least amount of body fat, and really, you know, do well as a competitive bodybuilder? So I took a real keen interest in supplementation. And so this is like, this is early 2000. This is like 2004, 2005. And back then, especially in Australia, um, supplements were just non-existent. Um, you know, there was little bits and pieces here. The protein powder tasted like uh, wet cardboard. Um, nice. 
pre-workouts were like a shot of coffee, um, branch chain amino acids, intra-workout supplements. People just had never seen them before. Whereas in the US, supplements were really starting to take off. There was this big um, boom, for lack of a better term, in the industry. So there was this big discrepancy between what we get, get in Australia and what we could get, what was available in the US. So I started... Um, importing products from the U.S. just for my personal use as a as a competitive bodybuilder. So I'm take, importing these supplements, taking them. I started competing. Um, I did my first show when I was 18, um, 19, 20. So did all kind of the junior level of competition. Was doing really well as a bodybuilder. Um, and at the time, I was at university as well. So I was studying at university, training at the university gym bodybuilding, doing well in competitions, and guys at the gym started, you know, I guess, taking an interest in what I was doing because, you know, I was winning competitions in bodybuilding, which back then was, you know, it was very rare to to do a bodybuilding competition. Now it's, you know, I wouldn't say mainstream, but it's much more common. Um, I was doing that, you know, I looked good as well, especially, you know, for for an 18, 19 year old, I had a a nice physique that I guess a lot of guys, you know, wanted to try and emulate. So they started taking an interest because, you know, I'd get to the gym, I'd be sipping on my pre-workout, you know, other guys were having a shot of coffee before they trained, intra-workout, I'm sipping on coloured BCAA, Uh, you know, I've got that in my my shaker bottle, my water bottle, and everyone else is drinking water, you know, I finished training, I've got my protein powder everyone else goes upstairs to the uni uh, bar and has a, a schnitty and a beer so <laughs> i guess nice. i started generating a lot of interest from from guys in particular training at the uni gym um looking at what i was doing with supplementation and so they started asking me look man you know next time you you put an order in for some stuff do you mind you know getting some for me can i get some pre-workout can i get some bcaas can i get some protein powder I'm like, yeah, man, absolutely. So I started, you know, tapping onto the end of my orders stuff for guys at, at, at the uni gym. And that kind of grew really quickly because, as you would know, clicky type communities like yep. universities, um, you know, everyone kind of knows everyone. Um, you're all in the same kind of network. So before you know it, you know, I'm, I'm rolling up to, to the Adelaide University gym with like a, a car full of supplements um, and selling supplements out, out the boot of the car and the back seat of the car and the front seat of the car and <laughs> anywhere I could put them, um, you know, to guys who wanted to, to buy supplements um, from me. And then that spread very quickly to the other universities in, uh, in, in South Australia. And before you know it, you know, like I'm the guy um, selling sup supplements guy. to, to – I'm the sup guy, the legit. Sup guy. <laughs> I'm the sup guy in, in, in Adelaide at least. Um, and, I, you know, I'm importing, you know, back then it was like pallets of stuff and, and, and just selling them locally um, to anyone who was interested. And I was the only person doing it, you know, like no one else – I guess the, there was really in, in no competition back then because no one kind of really knew much about it apart from myself. So I took that opportunity and I, I always had an interest when I was younger in, um, in e-commerce. So okay. I'd always, you know, I'd always be dabbling in selling stuff online. So, you know, I used to sell um, Lance Armstrong Livestrong bracelets, the little oh, yeah. yellow bracelets that you couldn't, you couldn't get them in Australia, but you could get them easily in the US. So I'd import those and I'd sell them on, um, on eBay in Australia. Um, I sold iPods, um, back when iPods, you know, once again, I guess there was that, that, um, 
discrepancy in, in what you could get in Australia and what you could get in other parts of the world. So I'd always kind of dabbled in, in e-commerce and primarily selling stuff on eBay, importing stuff from other countries, selling it on eBay. And so I took what I was doing with supplements at the time and and I was like, shit, man, like if I'm if I'm selling this much stuff to such a small market just here in effectively just the universities in Adelaide, I was like, imagine if I could, you know, do something with e-commerce to a much bigger market, that being the entire country of Australia, yeah. um, what that would look like. And so I did. So I, I, I opened uh, the very first supplement store on eBay um, back in 2005. Um, and I was the only person selling supplements in the country um, from, from an e-commerce perspective on eBay in Australia to anybody who was interested in buying them. And back then in, in 2005, eBay was primarily an auction site. So there wasn't, mm. you know, buy it now. There, it wasn't what it is today. It was very much very different auction-based. You listed something, people would bid it up, and whoever finished with the highest bid at the time the auction finished would be the person who would win it. And so I was, you know, to I guess to give a bit of perspective, these numbers are just illustrative. Yep. But I was, you know, importing pre-workout, for example, um, BSN NO Explode was the actual product, as a matter of fact. But I'd import that and, and you know, land it in the country for like 30 bucks. And I'd sell it, it'd sell on eBay at auction for like 130, 150 bucks. Oh, it was margins. just like I, I was literally making money hand over foot because I was the only person doing it. There, there was no competition. So, you know, naturally on an auction based website, supply and demands, um, when supply significantly exceeds demand, you're making ridiculous profits. Yep. So I'm here, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old. At the time, you know, for, for what I was doing for work, I was tutoring, I was coaching basketball, making, you know, um, 15, 20 bucks an hour uh, to selling a tub of pre-workout and making over a hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, shit, this is, this is some pretty cool shit, man. So, um, so I kind of, you know, spent, I'll dedicate a lot of time and effort to that, obviously, because, it, you know, it was a good business opportunity at the time. Um, as what happens with most businesses when there's, when it's very lucrative, like that was a lot of competition comes in very quickly and Coming kind of quick. erodes everything right down. Get a sniff. Um, so, you know, I went from, from making, you know, a hundred bucks on a tub of pre-workout to probably five or 10 bucks within the space of probably three to six months. So it happened very, very quickly. Um, and that's when I, you know, understood that, look, you know, I need to kind of get off this, auction platform and need to to get onto my own platform from an e-commerce perspective um got with a good friend of mine who was uh, at the same university studying um studying e-commerce um and and web design and he built me the very first version of of massivejoes.com um and that was november 2005 and uh and yeah i i, I ran that plus the ebay store i didn't shut that down ran massivejoes.com the website and and the ebay store um, until I finished my studies, which was the, the end of 2011. Um, and that's kind of when I committed to, to Massivejoes full-time and we got into bricks and mortar retail stores. We got into wholesale and distribution. Um, you know, that, I guess that's kind of when the business went from that real kind of grassroots selling stuff locally to people at, at the university gyms to the, the very early days of e-commerce to I guess the as as you put it off podcast um, the the empire that it is today. 
Yeah, Joe, that's amazing. Um, I've got a few like questions. Sure. How long was it between your university selling out of the back of the car to yep. your first brick and mortar store? So that the, the bricks and mortar stores was something that came once I'd finished my university study. So I guess to, to, to kind of give a bit of context, so I started university in 2004 and I was there until the end of 2011. So I was there for inclusive eight years. Um, the reason I was there for so long was I studied um, two rather difficult degrees. I studied mechanical engineering and I studied law. Um, so I was at university for a long time. Um, so the bricks and mortar retail stores didn't come until the first, our first bricks and mortar retail store, which is, which is Massive Joe's Dernicourt, which is, you know, we still kind of classify that as our flagship store. Um, didn't come until the middle of 2013. Okay. Actually. So, um, and that was just, uh, I, I guess, a function of, you know, me focusing on my studies up until I'd finished those towards the end of 2011, then committing to the business full time and then taking the business to the, I guess, the next level um, from just being an e-commerce based business to getting into bricks and mortar retail stores. You know, Joe, when you're at uni and you're studying those two very difficult degrees, was yeah. there ever a point where you're like, why am I doing this? Like you're doing really well in yep. terms of your business. Did yep. you ever think to yourself like, I should just like, cut, not cut my losses, but let's yep. invest now, invest now into your business as opposed to your education? Many times, man, many times, to be honest with you. And it's, you know, I, I don't have a lot of uh, a lot of regrets. I think that, you know, uh, a lot of things in your life um, happen for a reason and, and things kind of happen for you, not to you. Um, but one of the regrets that I do have is, uh, you know, I wish that I didn't spend as long as I did at university. Mm. Um, you know, and I, and I did, you know, I still think back to it now and consciously, I was aware of that. I was like, shit, like I really need to, you know, finish these, like be done with these studies and, and dive headfirst into business and commit full time to business. Like what am what am I doing? And I still like I'm, I, I've got a lot of it, it, it's very clear to me. Like I still remember the thought process that I had with regards to that. So I guess the next question is, well, why did you stick with it? <laughs> why didn't you just pull the pin um, and dive headfirst into business? And I think there were a couple of reasons for that, man. I think the first reason was I'm not the sort of person that commits to do something and then doesn't go through with it. Mm. So, you know, I committed that I was going to go to university. I was going to finish and get an engineering degree. I was going to finish and get a law degree. So for me, you know, just my nature is, I, you know, once I start things, I like to finish them. So that was one part of it, definitely. I guess the other part of it, to be honest, was I was very aware of the fact and probably from, you know, from both sides of my family, I was very aware of the fact of the risks in business. Yep. So I knew, look, you know, if I pull out of university and I don't finish with degrees um, and the business doesn't work, then what's my fallback? There's no contingency. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah, what's the so so I and I use the term quite frequently is is my university degrees and my insurance policy. Yeah. So you know, if I've always got something to fall back on, yeah. Which, in turn, I guess gives me gives me confidence to probably take risks with business that 
that other people probably wouldn't be able to take because there is no insurance policy, there is no contingency, there is no fallback. Okay, I see. I see. Um, yeah. And then following on from that, Joe, do you yeah. think that most of Massive Joe's success was because you're an early market entrant? Because now the fitness industry and supplement industry yeah. is just so saturated. And yeah. you're still doing very, very well. And you're actually keeping on top of uh, many yeah. of your competitors from an outsider's yeah. point of view. Um, do you think it's because you've been in the game for so long and you really established and consolidated like a really strong brand? I'm not so sure, man. I'm, I, I'm not so sure. And, and the reason why I'm not so sure is because, you know, in 2005, yes, you are correct. I was a very early entrant. I was, if not the first, definitely one of the first. But then I didn't really do anything until I finished my university studies in at the end of 2011, start of 2012. So any kind of, I guess, head start that I had from being an early entrant, I didn't really capitalize on, to be completely honest with you. So I don't think that that really was a determining factor in, in the amount of success that we've had as a business. I think probably the biggest determining factor in the amount of success that we've had as a business and continue to have as a business is our ability to um, change direction very quickly mm. um, in terms of marketing, in terms of creating relationships that need to be created, in terms of how are we going to distribute our products, our information. Um, you know, we, we arguably do that better than anyone else in the game, definitely better than any of our competitors. And I think that's really where the, the competitive advantage lies. Okay. Um, in terms of the relationships and networks, how did you yep. go about acquiring and developing them when you like kind of first started? Because you're just a yep. small player and you've obviously got yep. to approach supplement companies and athletes who are deemed to be of a higher prestige than you. How did Correct. you kind of present to them? How did you put yourself on the same platform? Because we know that business is really, yep. really network heavy. So yes. how did you kind of go about acquiring them? I think that I, I probably have a disproportionate amount of confidence to be to be honest. I, I feel you end. so I, much there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Deluded I self-confidence. Of- yeah, I kind of, you know, my mindset is like, all right, you know, I might be the new kid on the block. And, um, you know, one thing that kind of always works against me is my age and my youth, you know, especially when I'm going up against guys in their, you know, 40s, 50s that have just a lot more life and business experience, experience than I do. Yeah. But I think I just have a disproportionate amount of, of confidence where I'm just like, well, I, I just don't give a fuck. You know, like nice. I, I think that, that I have more to offer. I feel like, um, you know, I'm on that person's level, even though objectively I'm not. Yeah. Um, and I kind of just roll with it, to be honest with you. And then and then I'm just willing to outwork the other guys. I'm, out, I'm willing to outwork the competitors. So, you know, if I have to hop on a plane and travel to the other side of the world to be at an expo to grab a 30-minute meeting with someone who I want to do business with, I'll do that. Whereas a lot of my competitors won't, you know, because it's it's inconvenient or it's too difficult or they've got other things they need to be doing or whatever the excuse is, um, you know, I'm just willing to do what what they're not. Yeah, no, I really I really think you need that mindset when you're doing business because what's the point yeah. of going in there like half-hearted? You need to have like a bigger vision than the people around you, than your competitors, but you also yeah. need to have the drive. And you need to be on the verge of deluded because that's how all the great things are created. 
Yeah, I think so, man. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think as well as that, you kind of get what you think you're worthy of too, you know? So if, you, mm. if you're if you kind of like, you know, semi-confident or, 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 or lack confidence and you're kind of like, you know, I'm just not sure if I'm, I'm up to a particular task or up to talking and networking with a particular person or business or, or whatever it may be, you tend to attract that. Yep, you um, reflect it so as I well. Think that I think that your your own personal mindset and your own personal self-worth has a lot to do with that as well. Is that something that you've always had or is that something that developed as you went into business or as you matured? Um, look, I think it's something that I've kind of always inherently had, but it's yeah. definitely something, it's kind of like a skill, to be honest. I think, you know, um, some people inherently have skills but the more that they practice them and the more that they work on them, the better and the stronger those skills become. I kind of feel like that's the situation with me. I've, you know, I've kind of always been a confident person and I've kind of always had a very high, uh, I guess, feeling of my own self-worth. But there's a lot of practice that goes into that as well. You know, it's not kind of just there and I just call upon it as I need to call upon it. Um you know, it needs to be practiced and, and yeah. refined as well. Um, and you said before that being younger sometimes was it was a bit more difficult. Did you find still, that like, still, quite man. common all the time? Really, <laughs> I still cop. I still cop a whole bunch of it today, and probably because I look a lot younger than I am too. Um, I get that a lot still. It's kind of you know, especially people who who I guess you know perhaps don't know of my reputation or. Yeah. Um, you know, don't know of the business or, or whatever. I, I still, I still cop a lot of that. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. When when you think you're talking to someone in that context, they'd be yeah. a little bit more respectful. But obviously, when you come up to someone, they're they're expecting you not to grovel, but to show respect to them. Of course, um, especially when acquiring network or business or whatever it is. Um, of, and, and you should, but you should always show respect. Oh, obviously, you know, obviously. Re regardless, 100%. regardless of the bargaining position that you're mm. in, you know, we'll, 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 and you know, to, to flip the script is we'll do deals with companies that, you know, are, are a lot smaller than us and have a lot less industry experience than us. And, and, um, you know, uh, objectively are kind of not on the same level, but we still negotiate respectfully always. I think that's very important in business to be respectful. Yeah. Because there's a 100%. lot of like, everyone tries to fuck everyone over in yeah. in business more often than not, unfortunately. Um, but that really doesn't benefit anyone. You lose your network, you lose your business, you get a bad reputation. So, I don't understand that mindset. Um, it's good to be... I, I find it good to be aggressive in business, but yeah. not not dirty. Be aggressive, be, well, um, got, be confident, got... be like pushy. Not pushy, but forceful, but, yeah. and, but respectful at the end of the day. A hundred percent. I've got this theory that, that I'll share with you, Ange. It's, it's called my pie theory. Pie. And nice. effectively, it's a way of describing that your advancement doesn't have to come at the cost of somebody else's advancement. Okay. So the way, the way I like to describe it is if you think of, think of like a pie, yep. kind of think of like a pie chart, for example, or you can think of um, a sweet potato pie or an apple pie or, you know, a beef pie, whatever you whatever Sweet sort potato of pie, pie I can tell you're in fitness. Right? So yeah, so let's say that the that, that you've got a pie and it's a fixed size, right? And everybody is going to have a, a slice of that pie. 
but the pie can't, the, the, it, it's a fixed size. It's never going to get bigger. It's never going to get smaller. It is what it is. And if you've got a piece of that pie and you want to make your piece bigger, the only way that you can make your piece bigger is to make someone else's or a multiple number of people's pieces smaller, mm. right? So the only way that you can advance is for other people to go backwards. Whereas if you take a pie and once again, you, you start off with a particular uh, size slice, but you can actually focus on making the pie grow so the pie actually gets bigger. Mm, Not only okay. does your slice get bigger, but everyone else's does as well, right? So it's, it's, it's collective advancement. Yeah, so, so yeah, next whenever, slide, continue. whenever I'm, if I take that and I apply that to, to business, um, whenever I'm doing something where, you know, the, the, the goal is to advance as a business, I'm trying to figure out how to grow the pie, right? So I'm trying to figure out how to make everyone around me grow as well and get this collective advancement to really get some legs on it. So you focus more on developing the industry as opposed to competing with competitors? 100%. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's, and obviously, that requires a lot of collaboration? Of course. Yeah. Okay. And you can, you can apply it to anything though, Ange. You can apply it to business. You can apply it to your staff within the business. You can apply it to your own personal development. Um, you know, collective advancement is, is, is a very powerful concept uh, that always, always outshines advancement at someone else's expense. Mm. It's always easier to do things as a group, as an individual. Correct. Coming from sole trader into company owner, it's yep. it's so it's very evident because like there's only there's a threshold that you reach when you're mm -hmm. just an individual, but when you have a team around you, you can do so much more. Of course, it makes of life course. easy. <laughs> makes it so much yep. easier. Yeah. Um, you said before that it helps with personal development using that same uh, methodology. Sure. I'm interested to know. Obviously, you run the business and you're yeah. fully invested into it. I mm -hmm. want to know how you manage your time um, mm -hmm. between work and leisure. And also, sure. I want to also know how you've developed as like a person, as a man, going mm -hmm. from early business owner into well-established, successful business owner, like the, sure. the metamorphosis, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So... Time, the, the time management for me is, um, and in particular, when you're talking about balancing, I guess, work with life, right? Am I catching your drift here? Yeah, you got the drift. That, that you know, how do you maintain the, the, the work-life balance is, is, is a big one. Everyone loves that term, work-life balance, or, you know, live, live to, um, work to live, not live to work, or mm. however, however you want to phrase it. So, I kind of think of it more as an amalgamation of of work and life so i don't like to think of them as exclusive concepts where yeah. you know they have to be balanced as if they're opposite ends of a seesaw right and you need to figure out how to how to balance them i like to think of them as part of the seesaw so if you can find something that you enjoy doing that you're passionate about that you can do for quote unquote work so much so that it becomes part of your life it's not so much about figuring out how to balance that it's about 
embracing that as part of your life. Does that okay. make sense? That does make sense because yeah, I'm, and it, yeah, no, continue. It's a, it's a it's a it's a tricky concept to grasp because for most people they just have no concept of it. For mm. most people, they're mutually exclusive. It's like when I'm at work. It's something I really don't enjoy doing, but I've got to do it because I've got to pay the bills and it enables me to live my life the way I want to live it. And then when I'm not at work, I'm focusing on life and leisure and things that I enjoy doing. So there's this there's this uh, incredible contrast between yep. work and life. But what I'm saying is I have a completely different perspective of it where it's not contrasted at all. The two things are, are, are one in the same for yep. me. Okay. No, I, I understand that. That's actually a very nice way of putting it because one yep. of the... Um, one of my main questions that I wanted to ask you was how you keep your passion, your passion. Because you know the saying, if yeah. you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That's sure. if, you, if you have the mindset, the the um, usual mindset that works, work and life's life, yeah. then you can see how that happens. Um, but, you know, you, you go to the gym. So, the gym's like your life. It's also yeah. your work. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't ever find it becoming a chore Look, I think I think there's definitely periods. I, I think just just to back up a second, I think the whole um, phrase that you listed, where you know you, you'll never work a day in your life mm. if if you do what you're passionate about, I think that's a little bit of a fantasy. That's a bit of bullshit. Um, well, because it's based on the premise that you're never going to have to do anything you don't enjoy doing. Correct. Right, and that's just false. Um, and, you know, even if it was true, I don't think that that would be a situation you'd want to get yourself into because it's going to breed a fuckload of complacency. Yep. If you're never having to do things that, that suck or having to do things that you don't enjoy doing, you know, getting uncomfortable and being uncertain and doing things that you, you know, otherwise would avoid doing is all part of personal development in my right. personal opinion. But I think that no matter what you do, you know, for work or for life, because I kind of look at the two things as one in the same, yep. there's always going to be things that you have to go through that you don't particularly enjoy, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be things that you have to do that you don't particularly enjoy doing. And it's not so much about not working a day in your life. It's about doing things that make you uncomfortable, that push you out of your comfort zone, that, that suck because they're all part of developing you as a person, developing you as a businessman, um, you figuring out, you know, one of the one of the biggest things for me, man, that that has really led to to a lot of, I guess, long term business success is me being aware of things that I don't enjoy doing in the business because I'm not good at them, okay. and hiring somebody who's better at doing them than I am, who does enjoy doing them, and getting that person to do that particular task, and then the business benefits for that because. You know, I'm able result. to free up more of my time to do what I'm great at, that I'm passionate about, that I'm going to be able to get the best return on time investment. And I've hired somebody in the business who is able to get better return on their time investment doing that particular task because they enjoy doing it and they get better um, satisfaction and, and enjoyment from it. Yeah, that's true. I, my big thing within my business is stick to what yeah. you know. So look, I can't build a website. Get someone yep. else to do it. And it's the same premise, the same ideology that you just said. They enjoy yep. it. The result will be better. It will be reflective on the end product. I think that's Correct. incredibly important. And I find that so difficult with a few of my clients earlier on in the, in the stage, sorry, 
they yeah. wanted to do everything. So like they would do their own photos, their own, their own video, do their own of website, course. but they don't have the technical skill in those areas and it reflects poorly yeah. on their brand and their business. Yeah. So in the end, they're doing themselves a detriment. But um, Well, and I, you know, I think there's probably two sides to that as well. And, and because this podcast is kind of tailored at, at people who are new to business or thinking about getting into business, I think it's probably worth just talking about it for a second. Yeah, go for it. The, the two sides to that are, firstly, when you, when you start off in business, you're probably not going to have the financial resources to hire people to do stuff for you. Yes. Right? So you're going to have to do a lot of everything. Um, you know, it's one thing that, that, that I often tell my staff here at Massive Joe's is I literally, I've done everything in this business. You guys think you're the only person to ever pack boxes in this business? Well, I did that shit. You think the only person to do graphic design for this business? I did that shit. You think mm. the only person to produce a video for this business? I, like I've done everything yeah. by necessity because when you start off, you don't have a lot of financial resources. So you have to do a lot of the stuff that perhaps you're not particularly good at or you don't particularly know too well because you have no choice. Hmm. That's correct. Right? I just to add on to that, Joe. Yeah. That I'm 100% agree with you there. But yeah. the only thing which annoys me is that they don't do it correctly. Like they don't put a little bit of research or effort into it. Yes. So for example, with uh, product photography, mm -hmm. um, you know, just like 30 minutes, check YouTube. How do you do the lighting correctly? How do you set up your yeah. camera or your phone correctly d yeah. and, and edit it correctly? It doesn't take that long. That's but right. a lot of people just skimp on that and just go, yeah. oh yeah, look, there's a picture. We're done. So I agree with you, but it's, I feel like they just need to put a little bit of effort. Just to, Even though it's outside of their expertise, it'll be yeah. well worth it in the long run. No, I agree. I agree. And there's, there's a saying that I, I often recite to myself quite frequently, and that is the way that you do one thing is the way that you do everything. So even if you're not good at something in particular, but you have to do it out of necessity because you don't have the financial resources to get somebody who's an expert in it to do it for you, you should be doing that to the best of your ability. So I completely agree with you just because you know, you're not good at product photography it doesn't mean that you can't spend a couple of hours researching on how to take a good product photo and do the best possible product photo you can produce, even though it's outside your area of expertise, because the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. That's right. It will reflect your, eth your work ethic will reflect into all aspects of your business and, and life for that fact. 100%. 100%. Without a doubt. And I think, I think that, you know, the other thing that I wanted to talk about there as well, Ange, is, is, um, when you're in those early stages of the business and out of necessity, you're doing everything, but then you get to a point where, you know, you're, you're selling some stuff, you're turning over some, some more stuff and you've got the financial resources to be able to bring people into the business. I think that's something a lot of early business owners slash entrepreneurs struggle with is delegation. Yes. Right. Yes. Letting so, go of their baby. A hundred percent. And they've, you know, they've nurtured this baby doing everything out of necessity and now it comes the time to, all right, let's take the business to the next level. So you can't continue doing everything out of necessity. So now you have to start delegating. And I think that that's something that a lot of business owners struggle with is, is you know, giving up parts of their baby to other people um, who are never going to care about it as much as they do. That's so it's true. It's not, not going to happen, but it's still, now that becomes necessity because if it doesn't your your return on your time investment is never going to be great enough to take your business to the next level 
So it's a little bit of a polarizing concept. It is. It's it's the relinquishing control as well. Yeah. Because you can't oversee it. And like you said, no one's going to love it as much as you do. No, so it's, it's never going to happen. It's incredibly difficult, but it needs yeah. to be done. Like it's a, it's a catch-22. It's essentially, if you don't do it, you're not going to grow. If you do yeah. do it, well, you risk it's not developing and becoming what you wanted it to be. But exactly, there's risks to everything. You need to just take it. Of course, yeah. There's nothing more you can do. You just got to do it. Well, it's, it's, but it's tricky, you know, it's, it's a concept that, you know, I, I definitely struggled with. I continue mm. to struggle with it, to be honest with you. There's still parts of the business that I'm involved with that, you know, it, it's funny because we're, you know, we're, we're shooting this podcast at, at the end of the year, yeah. only a couple of days left in this year. And something that I do at the start of every year is I, I take a really kind of a higher level bird's eye view type look at, at myself and my position and how I'm spending my time and what I'm doing with my time. And I, I always analyze everything that I'm doing and no doubt I'll come to a particular task that I'm responsible for where I'm like, oh shit, I probably need to stop doing that and you know relinquish that responsibility and, and give it up to someone else. But it's still hard, man. Yeah. I'm like, shit, I really don't want to. <laughs> I know. But, you, <laughs> but you, I know I have, have to. to. Because I need to be focusing on other things that are going to get me better return on time investment. You know what I'm saying? Or yeah. else the business is not going to get to the next level. Yeah. How are you meant to grow the business if you're making your working workout videos all the time? Well, how am I meant to grow the business if I'm still packing boxes for online orders in the warehouse? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you can't be doing If you that. want to go right to that extreme. Yeah. So there's all these little steps of, of delegation and relinquishment of responsibility. Well, not necessarily relinquishment, but delegation of yep. responsibility that therefore allows you to spend your time and your effort much more effectively. That's going to help grow the business and take the business to the next level. And I think it never stops, man. I think it's like a, like a, like a, an infinite staircase. Mm. You know, you got one step and then you, you got to go to the next level and you go to the next level. And, you know, I, I can't even foresee in five years the sorts of things that, that I will, you know, be needing to spend my time and my effort doing because I'm not, I haven't reached step number 10 right yeah. i'm still at step number two and i can't see what's at step number 10 yet yeah i know what you mean it's it's so rapidly changing as well but yeah it also like we said to be on top of competition you need yeah. to be forever changing and my favorite analogy is drake so drake's yeah. been around for 10 years on top for 10 years because he yeah. is forever changing and he's always first to the new trends and he makes the new trends and uh -huh. you have to because drake's a good businessman he's got a really good team around him so you have yeah. to adopt that kind of wanting and need to change to kind of stay on top of everything. Set new you trends, make new it's markets. Funny, it's funny you say that because we've got um, here here at MJHQ at Massengers headquarters in our in our main office, we've got a bunch of um, motivational prints up around the office that we we custom designed ourselves, and so every print has a particular person and like an iconic image of a particular person and then a quote that relates to that person and one of the motivational prints that we have here is this, this big poster of martin luther king um with the quote embrace change and i think that in business that is so important to you know in, actually embrace change you know want to want to change as a business because we are like it, things are moving 
happening so quickly, man, that if you are stuck in your ways and you're not willing to embrace change, you're going to be punished for it, not in the long term, not in the medium term, but in the short term. Yeah. The business suffers and then the people yeah. attached to the business suffer. It's all because 100%. of your stubbornness, essentially, yeah, or your lack of foresight. Yeah. Or just your willing, your your unwillingness to embrace change, more mm. than anything. Yeah, I think that's really important. You have to, um, like you said, I think it's really important to reflect and yep. kind of put aside your your ego to an extent and just be like, okay, where can I improve? Mm-hmm. Like you, you want to think you're doing everything perfect, but the at the end of the day, you you aren't doing anything. You can't be perfect. Sorry. Um, so I think you need to set some time aside, like you said, reflect and kind of really analyze what areas can be more refined or more developed or improved or where you need to step out of or where you need to allocate someone else to or outsource. Mm-hmm. So how often would you um would you kind of reflect on business, Joe? So I, t- I tend to consciously do it once every three months. Okay. That every quarter. So I'll do it January, I'll do it April, I'll do it uh, July and I'll do it October is I'll consciously, you know, take some time, sit down, look at the different parts of the business. Sometimes I'll do it with, with Steve, my general manager. Sometimes I'll do it myself and actually consciously, you know, I do effectively a SWOT analysis on the business, yep. strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Um, but I really think that I'm doing it continuously without yeah. really thinking about it, man. You know, I'm, con- I'm continuously looking at and thinking about things we can be doing better, things that are not as efficient as they can be, um, people that I may have in the wrong places, staff that I've got in the wrong places in the business where we're not maximizing on their skill set, um, where I can, you know, perhaps move people around or bring someone new into the business or, you know, get someone out of the business if that's what's required uh, to make us operate better as uh, as a team. Um, so, yeah, so consciously once a quarter, but but Always. <laughs> Always, yeah. <laughs> Always subconsciously. Nice, nice. So, Joe, yeah. what's um, what's next for Massive Joe's? Do you have any plans in the short term? Yeah, man. We, you know, we 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 we've got a we got a bunch of stuff happening. So, I think you know, 2019. Let me talk about 2019 Let's because go. that's uh, you know, that's that's the next 12 months. So, the next 12 months for us, um, at the moment, to, to to I guess give the listeners a little bit of context because I I kind of gave them the grassroots story of Massive Joe's, but unless they've heard of the business, they probably don't really know, you know, where we went from grassroots to where we are today. Um, so at the moment, we have uh, 10 bricks and mortar retail stores. Uh, we've got nine in Adelaide and one in Melbourne. Um, we have uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, online uh, websites for, for supplements and apparel. That's massivejoes.com. Um, we run a distribution and wholesale arm to the business as well, which is probably in the top 10 in, in the country. Um, and then we run an apparel line as well, which is TMJ Apparel, which is our own uh, cut and sew um, workout and casual wear apparel line. So there's a few different moving parts. So 2019 for us, um, we're going to look to open at least another four retail stores all in Melbourne. So we're going to kind of take what we've done in Adelaide with with retail stores since 2013 and start rolling that out in the other capital cities in in Australia, starting with Melbourne. So that's going to be a big focus for us. 
Um, from the online perspective, we've got some some pretty cool initiatives uh, coming up that are going to establish us definitely as as the number one online resource for for supplements and and workout apparel and and information related to health and fitness in in Australia definitely and continue to grow our presence worldwide. Um, from the distribution side, we've got some big big plans for for distribution. We've got a couple of monstrous brands coming on um that that i think are going to surprise a lot of people as to how the fuck did these guys <laughs> manage to work with these brands um and once again that comes down to that confidence thing mm. um so that's going to be huge for us in 2019 and then from the apparel side of things as well um really continue to expand into into casual apparel um you know we've got the workout side of things pretty down packed but um but start getting more into streetwear and and, and casual apparel as well so Joe, that's pretty exciting. We got, a busy, we got a busy 12 months, man. Oh, yeah. Are you going to go worldwide down the track? Do you think it's feasible? Well, it depends how you define worldwide, right? So from from the online side of things, we do a lot of business internationally already yep. um, with, with supplements and, and in particular with the apparel line, with TMJ Apparel. So, you know, it depends how you define worldwide. Will, will we put bricks and mortar retail yeah. stores in other countries not until we're completely satisfied with australia okay um and you know australia we've got at least 10 to 15 years of focusing on that to go um and once we get 10 15 years down the track man i don't even know what the bricks and mortar market's going to look like internationally so it may not even be an opportunity anymore mm, uh, but, completely different. but time will tell yeah so i think we might wrap it up we're about to hit 50 minutes awesome I'd like to thank you for your time, Joe. Thank you for of sharing Of course, man. Always, um, always a pleasure to uh, to chat with my man, Ange. Oh, no, likewise, likewise. You're a book of knowledge. <laughs> I love it. I get to, thank I get you, to talk man. I appreciate and I get that. to learn. It's the best. Absolutely. So, Joe, where can, we, um, where can we find you? Plug yourself. So, me personally, man, um, the easiest way to find me is just to Google my name, Google Joseph Mensell. It'll come up with... Um, my Instagram will come up with all the massive Joe's websites, massive the business we run Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, um, all over the place. But but probably the easiest way to just to find myself is just to Google my name, Joseph Medsell, and and you know take your pick. Nice, beautiful, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ange. Thanks for having me, man. No worries. See ya. Cheers. <laughs>